0: Hi, folks, and welcome to another Wildlife For You podcast. This is a show where we talk about wildlife and conservation in ways that make sense. I'm your host, Stephanie Payne, and I'm joined here by my co-host, who's an all-around different Payne, Daryl Ratajak.
1: Wow, Steph, you're you're actually pretty good today. You're spot on with that calling me a pain here. So to what do I owe this wit and good mood that you're in?
0: Well, you know, how, given how beautiful the weather's been over the last two days and that I'm going to soon be departing for a week of frolicking and adventure in Florida, you know, what's not to be happy about.
1: Ah, so you're leaving me to go lay on a beach and bask in the sun? Far from it. Uh,
0: you know I'm a Potter girl. I'm I'm going to be hitting up the shops in Diagon Alley and sipping butterbeer at Hogsmeade at Universal Studios. I may even visit Flourish and Blotts or the Magical Menagerie while I'm at it. Definitely gonna take a ride on the Hogwarts Express, and what trip would be complete without a visit to Gringotts Bank? It's run by goblins, you know. <laughs> and and then a stop in at Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Oh, you know, I can pick you up some Birdie Bots every flavor beans if you'd like.
1: Oh, oh my gosh, are those those beans that have those flavors like uh, like booger and earwax or, or cat puke?
0: <laughs> yes, that's the ones. Every single flavor oh uh, okay then how about no (laughs) come on d you are so no fun
1: well well, i'm no fun because maybe while you're out there galvanting around at hogwarts i'm going to be stuck here doing the podcast i got to carry the torch by myself now anyway it looks like i might have to find someone else to partner with me there pal
0: oh he'll be all right and i'm sure my stand-in won't be half as witty as me which should actually make you look a whole lot better
1: you know what Steph? i think you're to something there and you're leading me to my first tangent and uh, hopefully it's going to be one of many tangents today <laughs> but uh you you just it just dawned on me about like me finding a stand in for you but, but way back when when you'd like go out and like you're you're actually trying to meet someone uh, usually of the opposite sex um <laughs> we had We'd always go out with our one friend. I'm gonna call him Rick just to protect the innocent, but uh Rick was one of those one of those guys that was really obnoxious and just did some pretty pretty rude and and things that uh, would embarrass most people and so we loved or at least I loved going out with Rick because whenever we'd go try to meet someone, he would be so obnoxious they would gravitate towards me and try to get away from him so Anyway, now that I told you about my college life, uh, um, do me a favor. Sure. As long as it's not with Rick, he's all yours. (laughs) Not anymore. I get rid of Rick. (coughs) (laughs) Just make sure you call me as soon as you get back from Florida to to see if you have a job here. Because if I find someone like Rick to fill in for you... (laughs) I might not want you back because you usually steal the show here. You wouldn't. Um, might be dreaming of it tonight, Carol. <laughs> Stop laughing already. <laughs> Seriously, stuff. Do you do you really think I could re- replace you? you? When it comes to this podcast, though, you, you're like the yin to my yang, or or you're the tea to my crumpets. Or or you, you'll get this one. You're the macaroni to my cheese because I am full of cheese sometimes. Um, What's, all right, one more. How about you're the peanut butter to my jelly? Wait, wait, wait. I'd rather have chocolate. So you're the peanut butter to my chocolate. So trust me, that's a compliment.
0: Are you done making me hungry yet? Yeah, I think so. Well, what do you say I go ahead and I introduce tonight's topic?
1: That's probably a good idea because I'm getting myself deeper and deeper (laughs) (laughs) away from topic.
0: Okay, so tonight we're actually going to be talking about a pretty serious issue when it comes to the world of wildlife, especially as it pertains to deer. Tonight we're going to be talking about chronic
1: wasting disease. (laughs) Aha! Aha! I love it. This is not getting edited out.
0: Anyway,, mm. are you done making me hungry?
1: <laughs> pause I, I I will edit it out start there. okay, I'm so glad I make I'm so glad I make you laugh.
0: Yeah, now my nose is all snotty, okay. So do I still start with my the beginning of my bullet? Uh, yes, okay. Are you done making me hungry?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: What do you say I introduce today's topic?
1: Ah, uh, that actually might be a pretty good idea.
0: Okay. So tonight we're we're going to be talking about a pretty serious issue when it comes to the world of wildlife, especially as it pertains to deer. Tonight we're going to be talking about chronic wasting disease, otherwise known as CWD. So, Daryl, since you are the expert when it comes to deer um, and definitely on CWD, I figured I could throw a whole bunch of questions at you and you can kind of clarify those for our listeners. That well, sounds
1: like a plan, Stan. Hey, that just reminded me. You could be you'd be like the Simon to my Garfunkel. Oh. Do, do you remember that song where you slip out the back, Jack, make a new plan, Stan? Don't need to be coy, Roy. Just listen to me. Are you done yet? Hop out the bus, Gus. Don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key, Lee, and set yourself free.
0: Oh, sweet freedom. Right. I'm done. Enough yeah. already, for sure. Yeah, we need to stop singing songs from the '70s. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> I must have got you laughing good because your nose is really pouring <laughs> right now. <sighs> uh, all right. So where were we? Uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna be talking today. We need, just so you know, folks, we needed some levity in this podcast because today's topic is actually pretty serious. We're going to be talking about CWD, which is chronic wasting disease.
0: Okay. Well, um, you know, let's, let's start with what the heck is chronic wasting disease or CWD.
1: Okay. Well, before I get into answering that, I, I just want to throw out that while I'm answering these questions, if, if I get too complicated or if um, if I get too long-winded, by all means, throw the flag and and stop me or interrupt me or ask me to clarify things, but I'll try to...
0: Uh-huh, because I've had
1: so much historical luck by doing <laughs> that. I'm doing it for the benefit <laughs> of our listeners right now, and then okay. just to give them, I yeah, be... give them hope that you might actually do that, but <laughs> I know you won't. So... <laughs> All right, let, let me talk about CWD. And so like I said, it, it's chronic wasting disease. And, and what it is, I'll put it really simple to start out. It is an always fatal disease of cervids or the deer family. So you're looking at animals like white tails, mule deer, elk, even moose. Uh, this chronic wasting disease, if, if they get it, they're going to die. Um, and I will clarify that they they typically die of secondary symptoms, but once they come down with chronic wasting disease, it's more or less a brain disease that's going to cause their health to deteriorate. And generally, they're going to die of secondary symptoms, or if they don't die of that, they will die of CWD. So it's, it's an always fatal disease um, that's really going to do a a hurting on the, on the deer populations. Okay. You good? I'm good.
0: All right. So, so since this is a science-based podcast, let's go ahead and go a little bit deeper into the biology of it. You know, I, you don't have to get overly technical, but let's put some meat on the bones of this and try to describe the physiology of what's going on.
1: Okay. I will, I will get complex, but uh, it'll be basically complex. <laughs> so, all right, what, what CWD is? Uh, have you ever heard of a, a family of diseases called TSEs? Transmissible
0: Spongiform Encephalopathy. Yes, very, uh-huh.
1: very good. Um, it's a mouthful. And what what it is, it's a family of diseases that uh, affect different animals. And literally, it's it's a way it's a disease that more or less attacks the brain over time. And so if you look at some of the, the other TSEs out there, those transmissible sponge, spongiform encephalopathies, <laughs> I told you it was a mouthful. You have, you have what's called, I'm sure you heard of this, but mad cow disease, if you recall, Uh mad cow disease, uh, unfortunately it killed a number of people because it jumped out of cows and started infecting people that were eating some of the contaminated meat. And just so you know, that was, uh, it's what's called a BSE, a bovine uh, spongiform encephalopathy. And, and so very similar disease. Another one that many people haven't heard of, but it's actually the, the BSE that that is kind of found within the human realm. It's the Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. Uh, Very, very rare, but it's very deadly. It's very, it's an awful, awful disease. And so it's it's in this family of TSEs. And so the way this disease works is the disease, the contagion, the, the thing that causes the disease is a prion. P-R-I-O-N. Some people say prion, but I always say prion. And what that is, it, it's a protein. And you know our bodies use proteins all the time, but this is, it's a misshapen. It's its a misfolded protein. And so its it consists of a series of amino acids that the body typically uses, but because they're arranged or folded differently, the body cannot use it. However, here's mm-hmm. here's what's crazy. Like the body the body recognizes it said all right this is a protein we use proteins and and it can it can replicate that protein but because it's misshapen we can't use it it begins to to build up it builds up in the spinal column it builds up in the brain and because of its design over time it begins to cause perforations within the brain and it's that deterioration within the brain that causes the onset of all these other uh uh, what 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 would I call it, uh, all these other symptoms that, that come on that might cause fatality in the animal. For example, I, I mentioned secondary issues that often cause a deer to die. Because their brain is being affected, the deer is wandering around almost in a listless state, and so they might get hit by a car, or they might forget to run when coyotes are chasing them, and so they they often succumb to predation. Um, or they might go get a drink of water and fall in the lake and drown. So there, there's a number of things because the, the brain is deteriorating, the animal can't function properly, and they usually die of, of these secondary causes. So anyway, that yeah, hmm. it's very similar to brain disease in, in humans.
0: Yeah, that sounds super nasty. Um, I actually do know somebody that had mad cow disease, just for the record. Oh, wow. Uh, yep. Anyway, it took a long time for that to fix. Anyway, um, so that actually, it sounds really, really nasty, but how how long does that take for that whole, you know, you mentioned a pretty long progression there with, you know, the misshapen or misfolded protein. And then of course, replicating of that protein, which causes the buildup. So how long
1: does that, that progress take? Yeah, well, this disease is is still being studied and, and there's, there's so much we have yet to learn, but, but a lot of the studies that they're looking at, they have seen it progress really quickly from... Um, the the introduction of the disease to where the actual symptoms of the, the brain, the debilitating brain disease, literally taken a few months. But sometimes it may take up to 18 months, possibly even two years. And, and so there's no specific time period. The one thing I do want you to know, though, is it's very unlike EHD. EHD is epizootic hemorrhagic disease. And when deer get that that disease, in in the chronic form and not the chronic form um the unchronic form how about that <laughs> I've, I've, what's the opposite of chronic oh i'm um anyway the, it, it's like a it's, yeah. it's like a fast acting form of ehd those deer they get the disease and they can die within days cwd is not that it takes a much longer time for that disease to develop and for those symptoms to, to begin to show themselves.
0: So the other one's more acute. Acute, yes.
1: You, oh. Okay, you. I will.
0: You're welcome. Uh, you realize I, I mean we've said it before, but sometimes when Daryl's talking much, Stephanie drifts off a little bit.
1: <laughs> yes. Anyway, but, uh, I I'm, thank you, you know. for, for that because yeah. unchronic just did not <laughs> did not sound right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so from a population standpoint, you know what what are we looking at? What is what does this do? Uh,
1: okay. Th- this is where it gets interesting. And from a, a manager, biologist manager standpoint, this is where it gets frustrating because a deer can get the disease. And sometimes, like I said, it could take months or even maybe a year or two before that deer would finally succumb to dying of chronic wasting disease. And so the the deer could be walking around and although they're infected, they're not showing any symptoms yet. And so unfortunately there's a lot of misunderstanding because the hunters believe, Oh, it's, it's not that important. The, the deer have CWD and there's nothing wrong with them. Well, that could be the case because it does take a little while for for that disease to progress, but literally what it does, think of it this way. The more that disease gets prevalent or, or the when that prevalence rate increases within a population. So initially, if you only have one or two percent of the deer getting it, and that increases over time and and it becomes so that the majority of deer or a good portion of the deer start developing that disease if it's going to take 2 years at most to to kill that deer what it's going to do it's going to decrease the overall life expectancy of a deer so a wild deer may live to be 4 or 5 sometimes 6 years old typically in a in a hunted situation but because this introduction of the disease if they begin picking up this disease when they are a year or two too old they're only gonna be living to be three or four years old. So you're you're, you're gonna effectively decrease the age structure of that population. And there's been studies done, uh, modeling studies within Wyoming that says the the population, once it reaches a certain prevalence rate, you'll see population decreases of about 10% a year, which is so gosh darn scary. Mm. That is pretty scary
0: actually. Okay, so let me let me get back to something that you said earlier you know you did you said it was a protein so instead of a, a virus or a bacteria so that that means it's not really and i'm gonna air quotes but it's not really alive you know bacteria is alive a, a virus is a, it minimum can replicate using the host cells um so it's not really live though as as opposed to also being dead so it's a chain of amino acids you said so it's It's not a virus that we can vaccinate against or something like that. But, you know, how is it how is it passed, you know, in and what does it mean that it's not a virus?
1: Well, that is the big, big problem with CWD, because there's there's literally no way to kill it off because it's not alive. And so because it's this protein, it's this chain of amino acids, it can that that protein can survive in the soil like even after an animal dies and decomposes, th- those prions, remember they're, they're prions, they're called prions. Those prions that are the, the CWD prions can remain active in the soil and literally potentially infect other deer years after that original deer died. And there's actually been studies that kind of looked at the, the length of that those prions can survive. And and it's still going, they're still finding like seven years, 10 years. I don't know if it's gone out to 10, but they know at least seven years afterwards, those prions are still remaining active. And here's the scary thing. If those prions are in the soil, they've even found where plants growing in that soil can take up those proteins and those, those proteins would then be in the plants where that, that soil was. So, we're, we're we're literally learning so much about this disease and unfortunately it's it's truly scary in some situations
0: yeah definitely so any idea you know you've kind of scared me a bit so any idea where where this this prion came from you know i don't ever remember hearing about chronic wasting disease or cwd or anything like that when i was a little girl
1: well when you were a little girl you have to understand that news traveled much much slower in the early 1900s
0: you are such a jerk <laughs> i know
1: <laughs> but all right in all actuality i i thought that was so good too um in in all actuality the, the, there's there's literally never going to be an answer to where this disease came from what i can tell you though is it was first described in a, in a lab. It, it was a wildlife lab in Colorado in the late 1960s. And, and there's been theories thrown out here and there, whether or not it origin, and originated in the wild, whether it originated in the lab. Some people think it was a form of scrapie, which is a similar disease. It's it's still a BSE, but that that's a disease that affects sheep. And they think maybe maybe this version of scrapies transformed. So instead of infecting sheep, it started infecting deer. There's so much conjecture, but there's there's really no way to prove anything of like what, what happened 50 or 60 years ago. It's just impossible for us to do. But we do know that it, it hasn't been on the landscape forever. I'll eventually run into people that say, oh yeah, CWD has been here for thousands of years. We're just looking for it now. No. Because when the state wildlife agencies are looking for the disease and they're doing a lot of sampling and they're not finding it. And then typically when they find a new outbreak, then they sample heavily in there and you can see where it's focused around a, a specific point. So that tells you that it's originating from that point. Had it been on the landscape for thousands of years, it would be ubiquitous it would be everywhere we looked on the landscape and that's just not the case i'm done <laughs> so okay gotcha
0: i was you know i well uh, and it so this is bad when you're talking and i'm actually i'm actually interested because for the record i'm learning a lot by listening i'm not actually ignoring you today um anyway but no wonder i, I didn't hear about it because you know if this was out West, you know, Colorado is, it's actually pretty far away. And you said you can, you know, we can kind of narrow that focus and that focal lens down. So then the, that begs the question, how in the heck did it get here in my home state of Tennessee? You know, can a, can a not exactly live, you know, virus or something like that. This is just a, a, a prion, a disease that's on the landscape. Can it really travel that fast?
1: Well, believe it or not, it's, it's sad, but it's amazing how fast a disease can travel, um, especially when it's traveling on the back of a pickup truck, lit- literally like 70 miles an hour. And, and what I mean <laughs> no, what, no, what I mean by that is, is naturally, these diseases are, are spread from deer to deer, and so it, it could travel across the landscape, but when it's a natural disease like that, it usually travels slow. But if you load or someone loads an infected deer on a truck, whether or not it's alive or a dead deer, because remember it's a protein that's the contagion contagious agent here, you you load that deer on the back of a truck and you you haul it across the country. It just now traveled a thousand miles in well five hundred miles in a day. so um, that's that's how a lot of a lot of these outbreaks have started popping up on the East Coast, it's almost always attributed to traveling on the back of a truck somewhere.
0: Okay, so sorry, I'm kind of jotting myself some questions I still want to ask as you're talking, because I don't want to be rude, but I want to remember them for, for later too. So let me ask you one thing first. So the contagions, it's is essentially then it's direct contact with the, the prion. So it's not sneezing coughing poo what's uh, how is it actually transmitted from from animal to animal
1: no no it it, it is that because that that's a really good question because one, one of the things that i should say is as as the disease progresses within a deer and they become more and more deteriorated deteriorated condition they start shedding the disease they start shedding the prions whether it's saliva uh, mucous membranes blood Um, even in the urine, there's there's been studies that show that those prions are even shed in the urine. So it becomes this, it's like a zombie you don't want to touch because it's it's a walking dead creature that can infect you. And and so typically when they're doing that though, it, it takes that deer to deer contact. And I could grab my soapbox right now and talk about feeding deer and why it's bad. This is this is one of the reasons, CWD is one of the reasons why states shut down feeding wildlife because a, a lot of states have it where um, it's legal, but when CWD pops up, they ban feeding any type of deer because um, it, it just creates a, a hotbed source of activity. You have, you have all the deer feeding in one spot, and if you have one CWD-infected deer, you're soon to have a whole bunch of CWD-infected deer.
0: Now, when we say feeding the deer, are we talking whole food plots and salt blocks and the well, whole gamut? No, well, We're just l- like off. I
1: said, no, that, that, that's a, another great question. Uh, because people argue, oh, deer are social animals. They'll, they'll always, they'll lick each other and do all that. And you can't stop that. that that's true. But typically when you see deer socializing and licking at each other, it's a mom and her offspring. And, and in the rut, they might socialize when they come together. But for the most part, they don't have too much contact with each other. But if you have a feeding area, like a feeding trough or or pouring corn or anything on the ground, those deer are going to be sticking their head in the exact same spot that a hundred other deer are sticking their head. And, And you have a sick deer that's salivating and shedding these prions and it infects that pile of corn, that is so, so much worse than then those deer say they are feeding naturally or even in a food plot, they'll be spread out all over. So it's rare that you get deer feeding in the exact same spot, but with a situation where you're pouring food on the ground, you're creating that reservoir for disease spread.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, give us, give us some hope. Are there any breakthroughs or any talks of
1: cures or treatments?
0: Nope.
1: <laughs> um and I I don't mean a joke, but it's this is the worst part. It, literally, what we're finding, it's it's pretty bleak. Here's here's one of the things <laughs> when it comes that's the encouragement that I'm looking for. <laughs> pretty bleak. Um, when it comes to dealing with disease in wildlife, even if there was a cure, how do you administer it? <laughs> and so. Th- Unfortunately, a lot of disease work that is done in animals is for obviously pets and for livestock because that's a captive situation where you can administer medications or whatever. In a wild situation, you can't do that. Uh, The other thing is, like I said, this isn't a virus or a bacteria where you can develop some kind of uh, vaccination for it. Now, I will tell you, having said that, There was a gentleman, uh, Frank O. Bastion. He's a, uh, I think, a neurologist or epidemiologist. He was an ologist of some sort who has been studying these BSE type of diseases. And he he did a study where he more or less was saying that CWD was caused by this uh, spiroplasma bacteria. And if that's the case, if it was a bacteria, then there is hope that you can develop a vaccine the problem is nobody's been able to replicate his studies and, and so everyone has been focusing on this prion stuff and it'd be great trust me i love it if it is a bacteria because that would give us hope but unfortunately that that really hasn't panned out and we we're, we're still we're still guessing as to, to what we could do so literally instead of trying to cure it we're trying to develop ways to manage and to live with the disease.
0: Yeah, interesting. And it reminds us also of of how important that scientific method is when you said that nobody else could replicate that, you know, something being peer-reviewed and repeatable. It's a couple of the tenets of, of the scientific method. So Anyway, yep. okay, so so what are we looking at here? Are we looking at five states that have CWD, fifty states, you know, how wide how widespread is, is CWD right now?
1: Well, if if you look at the map, and, and just so you know, you can go to an amazing website, it's CWD Alliance that has all the information on this. But if if you look at the overall map, you can still see that it's primarily found in the West. But unfortunately, it's filling in the dots on the east. And so if I'm not mistaken, I think we're up to 26 states in the U.S. that have detected CWD within it. And so you know as well as I, Tennessee detected it a few years ago. And it's unfortunate because you see how fast it's spreading in that western half of Tennessee. But it's it's definitely on the move. And that's part of our management strategy is how do we slow down the spread? And, And so... Um, it's, it's something that we know what we have to do, but the problem is the folks that we are asking to, (laughs) to help us out are still a little skeptic, skeptical about this whole thing. So, um, sadly, it's only a matter of time.
0: Gotcha. So since you have thoroughly depressed us with that, uh, that prognosis, sir, what's,
1: what's our hope here? That's that's a really good question. And, and I don't want to paint uh, a picture like all is lost, n- nothing good is going to come of this, um, because here's the thing. Mother Nature finds a way. And, and my personal thought is before man finds something to right the ship with this, I think Mother Nature will find a way. Uh, literally that's that's pretty much how evolution works there's going to be hopefully there's going to be some some deer out there that are are more or less cwd resistant. and believe it or not there's there's actually some research showing that certain certain genes that deer carry make them less susceptible not totally um, uh, immune to it but it makes them less susceptible so if those deer are the ones that are surviving over time mother nature is going to cure this before man will cure this
0: yeah. Hold on a second. Okay. Sorry. I had to jot a question down because I'm, I'm full of them right now, but I've kind of keep them in some sort of order. So to me, from what you just said, it does sound like we're more like in a management mode as opposed to any, any hope for an eradication or a cure mode. Um, so we are literally, what you're saying is that we need to control the spread more than focusing on anything else at this point.
1: Yeah, exactly. and, if if you think about it, we can do very little when it comes to how the deer's body copes with this, this disease. Like I said, falling short of trying to vaccinate wild animals, we just can't do. Um, but we can do lots when it comes to regulating people. R- remember, I told you how fast that disease spreads in the back of a pickup truck doing 70 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can put in regulations that would would help slow down or prevent that. Um, that. That's the best form of management. And just so you know, most states have those regulations where you are not supposed to transport any deer from a CWD infected zone. Um, it gives you all these restrictions on what you sh- what you should and shouldn't do. Um, and, and so we're we are doing the things to help slow the spread. But we can't do it alone. We need people listening to the biologists. We need people listening and following the laws and regulations that we put forward. So correct me
0: if I'm wrong, but didn't uh, a pretty big time celebrity hunter, Ted Nugent, um, didn't he go off a few years ago and pretty much try to convince everybody and sell them on the fact, saying that CWD is pretty much a government hoax?
1: yeah and that's that's one of those frustrating things because he he was literally doing an interview on the joe rogan podcast and joe asked him some questions about cwd and he went off uh, just like you said and he was pontificating on a lot of things that were just out of his area of expertise <laughs> and um and, and so he, like, just trying to convince hunters that oh, it's not that bad. You don't have to worry about it. This is this is being blown way out of proportion. And and it it hurt. It it literally hurt many state wildlife agencies who are trying to do the right thing when you have other folks working against them. And so I I will say I got to give Joe Rogan a ton of credit. I, I don't know if you ever listen to his podcast or even know who he is, but once that happened and and the crap hit the fan with what what was said on his show he then invited some of the leading cwd experts uh, a week or two later on his podcast to to clean things up and to clarify things and put the the proper information out there
0: yeah so what do you mean by crap storm
1: um okay well you you kind of know this already but people in general they're they're not always steeped in science and unfortunately um it seems they would rather believe people that they listen to, like celebrities or rock stars or (laughs) athletes or football players, they would listen to them rather than the experts in the field. And and sadly enough, a a huge contingency of people, once they heard what Ted Nugent was saying about, oh, it's not that big of a deal, they jumped on his bandwagon. Because literally, I, I understand it. They're looking for hope. They're trying to... To find the silver lining in this, which we're trying to find it too, but don't grasp and don't make up things to create a false silver lining. Um, and so literally what, it, what it's done, is it's created a little bit of resistance in, in some of the, the groups out there where they're, they're fighting against this, this government management of the disease. So anyway, just remember one bad apple spoils the lot in many cases
0: yeah and i wish that celebrities and athletes you know would literally just stay in their lane and i really wish so many people didn't take their opinions as gospel truth you know they these these celebrities they do so much damage and the only thing they should actually be qualified to talk about is whether you know or whatever it is that allowed them their celebrity you know if they're an actor talk to me about acting all day long you're a writer talk to me about how to write but if you're not um if you're not a scientist or an expert in the field, they should just, you know, kind of shut it.
1: <laughs> you're, you're leading me on another tangent, but I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Stephanie. Because nowadays, you watch a news show, and and they're inviting these actors to give their opinion on these really difficult scientific or political topics, and it's like, who cares about what their opinion is? But yeah. a lot of people do. Oh, They got their. Do,
0: they got their education off of you know. Google and a YouTube yeah. video and now they're qualified as an expert to give the, a public opinion. And they're like, like I was saying, they do so much damage. The only thing that they are qualified to talk about is whatever it is that allowed them their celebrity. Anyway, before I go on a tangent, cause that is one of my big beefs in life. Anyway, how do state agencies try to slow the spread of this then?
1: Okay. Well, I, I mentioned it briefly before, but we institute, or, or I shouldn't say we state wildlife agencies, they typically institute regulations um, which will hopefully prevent the illegal transport or just stop the, the, those carcasses, infected carcasses from traveling across the landscape. So they have these transport regulations. But another thing that they can do is they can try to reduce the deer population in areas where that disease is discovered because naturally like i said it's nose to nose spreading so deer of contact with another infected deer and they get it and they spread it to their neighbor so believe it or not it, it's really simple when you think about it a lower deer density is going to slow down that spread if you if you pack a room full of 100 people that are shoulder to shoulder and one of them gets sick or has germs you can spread those germs around that room really quick if they're jam packed tight
0: pretty sure at this point in our lives, we are all extraordinarily familiar with (laughs) the value of social distancing.
1: Oh, oh, that's a, that's a really good point there. So anyway, by reducing a deer population in an affected area, you can slow down the spread of that disease.
0: Gotcha. So we need to encourage social distancing and potentially mask wearing in deer. Got it. (laughs) Anyway, so is there any upside to, to all this?
1: yes the it's it's not all gloom and doom, mostly gloom and doom, but not all gloom and doom <laughs> but but when you think about it i I mentioned twenty six states, so there's still twenty four states in North America or the united states where where c w d has not been detected, and it'd be great if we could keep that from uh keep those states from getting it um I don't know if we'll be able to do that, but there's still a lot of areas that do not have that disease in place so we have to do everything in our power to keep it that way
0: okay well you know wait a minute because i do have i do have one question that we haven't really touched on like we skirted kind of around it in a, a very you know two-step kind of fashion is cwd you, you mentioned you know mad cow disease obviously with the the bte so is this something BFC. that we need to yeah sorry Uh reading at the same time is this so CWD, is it something that we need to worry about with humans? Is it, is it possible that this could jump even though it's, it's not a, a virus or a
1: bacteria? Okay, awesome, awesome question. This is probably one of the most asked questions. As of right now, it has never been known to cross the species barrier to jump from a deer to a human. And that's as far as we we don't think it can. And there's been lots and lots of studies that are looking at whether or not that's a potential. They're they're doing CWD testing in in primates just to see of that possibility. And right now it's, it's not looking like it, it would, but they thought the same thing with mad cow disease. And, And so mother nature is finicky. She does what she wants to do. So we can never say never. So, believe it or not, the CDC recommends if, if you are hunting or you get a deer in a CWD-infected zone and get it tested, they recommend if that test comes back positive, not to consume that animal. And, and they're just erring on the side of caution because although it's never been known to do that, if it does the jump, you don't want to be the first one it jumps to. Yeah, um, okay. And that is huge, tremendously scary. You, you know that state wildlife agencies, they do. They do stuff for all wildlife, but it's mainly funded through hunters and fishermen. Yeah. If you suddenly find out that you can die from eating an infected deer, that's going to destroy state wildlife agencies. And, and so it's it's a it's a scary thing. That's why I, it's a gloom and doom topic. I don't want paint, to paint a rosier picture than that ever, but I just want to make sure we get the facts and understanding out there that needs to be out there.
0: Okay. So what about domestic livestock? Any, any effect that we've seen on this being transmissible to, you know, cows or
1: other animals? We're not, we're not seeing it cause disease. And just so you know, believe it or not, felines can have, uh, can carry the prions. And so they're learning so much more. Again, this is a relatively new disease, but think about it. You, You have, say you have a, a, deer carcass uh, that it was an infected deer carcass and you have a wolf or a bobcat or something that feeds on that and then consumes those prions and then defecates somewhere else there's so much unknown about this but as far as we know right now it's not like the disease will infect domestic livestock and make them sick but the fact that those prions and those um, those agents are out on the landscape that's the scariest thing of all
0: Okay, so I'm I'm gonna kind of geek out on you for just just a second, and and you kind of alluded to this earlier when you mentioned that Mother Nature may find um, her very own way of dealing with this. So, if if this is truly a protein, uh, you know, what's the potential? I'm I'm gonna it's gonna be a long winded question, so let me kind of just ramble through this. But what's the potential for deer to evolve the enzyme to process these these prions? You know, do we have any evidence that there's an enzyme that already exists in any other species that can process these prions.
1: Is that your long wind? That's the long wind. Yeah. Well, I felt
0: kind of, well, it's because I don't really, I was one, I was trying to literally write it while listening to you a minute ago. So I didn't know how much sense it actually makes, but lots in my head, obviously. Okay.
1: Well, I'm going to answer this the best way I can. And the thing is, I don't know. And I'm not about to make something up. That's an awesome question. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that that will go on and try to answer every question, even though if they don't know the answer, I'm not one of those people. (laughs) I will tell you flat out, that's a really good question. And I I don't know if if any studies are looking at that where you can develop, uh, an animal can develop an enzyme to break down that protein. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I know.
0: Okay. And the only reason I kind of asked was because, you know, if you look at, at proteins related to to, to dairy, lactose, you know, of outside of the, the, you know, to use normal human words outside of the infant stage of mammals, mammals are not designed to be able to digest that protein, which is why so many people are lactose intolerant because of the, of the animal species we're the only ones that routinely continue to consume dairy after our, our infant stage. You know, just like you give it to your cat, your cat loves milk, but then he goes and makes a mess that reeks up the entire house because they're not designed to be able to digest those, whether it smells like a good yummy or not, their body can't handle it. Same reason why most people can't handle those. But some parts of the human population after all of this time that have remained exposed to dairy have eventually developed proteins that can actually use those but we can do, excuse me, we have enzymes that can use those proteins. So maybe like you said, I guess, I I don't know the answer to that either, but I guess maybe that's my way of backing you up and saying mother nature may come up with something, but it's going to take a long time.
1: Oh yeah. That's mother nature is the most brilliant scientist of all. She's just slow as all get up. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. Well,
0: anyway, this, it, it really has been an extremely enlightening discussion, even if it's even if it's not stuff that we want to know about, you know, it's not stuff that's good. It's not good news. It's depressing as heck. Um, But it goes to show that not, you know, everything in wildlife or in life in general is peaches and cream.
1: Hey, that's another one. You could be my peaches to my, or I could be (laughs) You're my you're the peaches to my cream. How about that? Okay, I'm glad you
0: finally <laughs> spit that out, but it gives me a moment to say, don't do that again. <laughs> we just got you done singing all of those, those songs. Anyway, um, you know what? On that note, Daryl, I do I do think we ought to start wrapping this one up.
1: Yeah, I think you're right there, my friend, because we're I think we're going to be going on about 45 minutes, which I, usually you're yelling at me by this point, but. I can start. Um, I mean, if you want me to anyway. start, I'll start. <laughs> hey, we we want to make sure we maintain at least a few listeners here.
0: <laughs> well, you know, like we're always telling people with our catchphrase, when it comes to wildlife, your knowledge often equates to their existence. Today's topic could not make that phrase more evident. You know, we we need to inform the public on what's going on and to encourage them first to follow all those regulations created by those state agencies that are really trying to do good and do the right thing. And then those people, you know, are our listeners. we need you guys to talk to other people too. And and it gets tough to keep up the good fight, you know, in in light of listening to all those other people that listen, you know, to some celebrity say, No, I know better. So it's it's a tough fight. It's definitely it takes a lot of of intestinal fortitude. Um to even do what Daryl and I do on a day to day basis. Daryl more than me because he's on the book of faces, but Deer and other animals, you know, that can be infected by CWD. These animals are literally relying on us to do the right thing, to have the right knowledge and to influence those people around us. So, you know, let's, let's not let them down.
1: Excellent. Excellent point there, my friend. So before we end, you got any shout outs you want to give?
0: Oh, I hate it when you put the spotlight on me, like all unexpected like that. Um, Totally unprepared for that question. Thought I was going to get to sit back today and be the the questioner, not the questionee. Um, I I don't camp on the book of faces like you do. So, do you have any shout outs, Daryl?
1: Um, no, no personal shout outs. I've I've been I've been working my butt off lately, and I haven't been on the uh, the book of faces too much. I I still pop in every day, but anyway, hopefully I'll get back to that. But one thing I do want to mention though all this information I've been telling you it probably sounds like garble because I sometimes don't speak clearly or <laughs> I say things like unchronic and different <laughs> things like that if you want to get the good stuff you want to learn the real science and really familiarize yourself and become very knowledgeable about this topic visit the CWD alliance webpage it's maintained by a lot of State and federal agencies, and so it has really, really good information up there. So, all you have to do is go to that um, that search engine called Google and type in CWD Alliance, and you could learn and read about all you ever wanted to know about CWD. Cool. Hey, Steph.
0: Yes, my unchronic friend.
1: <laughs> Enjoy your vacation. I think I'll actually really miss you. Aw,
0: thanks, Dee, and I—I I promise to miss you too. If you promise not to replace me.
1: Oh, that's that's a good cliffhanger setup. But you know what? I'm already thinking of a topic I could do with my stand-in. I think we might do like Harry Potter's mystical creature.
0: Whatever. Like, like you could do that without <laughs> me.
1: All right, enjoy your vacation. I—I'll—I'll uh, I'll hold the ship down while you're away.